0: This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals.
1: Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. This episode is an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. We're going to be talking about something that every human being wants, every human being needs. It's a personal connection, but there's a problem (laughs) we're in sales and there's this buyer, uh, journey shift that's happening to this digital experience, right? So we, we, we have a dichotomy here between the shift to digital experience and the need for increased personal connection. So it can be tough to really build this, these personal connections, with prospects during sales cycle in a digital experience. Yes, sales reps must lean into the data and analytics to understand how to win more. But layering in a personable approach to sales is crucial to building customer relationships. So how do we do this? How do we build those strong connections with prospects. And if we just take those, that last question and we toss it out for a second, we just say, how do we build strong connections with people? I think we might be better served. Forget the idea of prospect and selling. Let's maybe just people. Chewing on on this with me today is Mr. Ben Zolden, co-founder of Story Leaders and co-author of What Great Sales People Do. Ben, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah. So Ryan, you said something before you went through that fancy uh, introduction, which I love. We were laughing because you said something that that about the conversation right before you you gave us that official intro. What was it?
1: Um, uh, I, I felt like a jerk. In fact, the words I used were, I feel like an asshole preparing for this this uh, this show because we are here talking about being humans and I've got all of this stuff scripted out. I've got all these these questions. Our producers have spent this time trying to polish things so that, you know, we can be other than or more than what we really are.
0: Yeah. What what do you mean?
1: Well, I think we have a tendency, right, Ben? Um, Let me let me talk for myself. I have a tendency. I have a tendency to want to put on the best face, to look the best, um, to be the best, to try and not show those cracks and fissures and the foundation of who I am. right? So uh, we, we come scripted, we come prepared, armed to the gills with data and outlines and what have you so that we can look, look awesome, be awesome.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because you and I just got to know each other 10 minutes before yeah. we hit record and, uh, and things got real between us. Like I told you, I wanted to come out there to Utah and give you a big hug.
1: Yeah. Right. They did. We talked about some very personal things. Um, and I think that's the way to connect with people at the end of the day. Um, you know, we, we have to make a living. We have to sell our wares, whatever, but people are making decisions because they're dealing with other people. Um, making connections is really important. And what I shared with you was about the loss of our son after a two year battle of cancer. Um, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, of the tongue, it's a terrible diagnosis for an 18 year old kid to, to get, uh, worst, one of the worst days of our lives. So you mentioned also, you said, Ryan, before you get into your hook, I'm going to bring you right back. <laughs> you promised to bring us right back to where we were prior to getting into the hook. And here we are.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and it reminds me, it's like, um, we're so enamored with, you know, all these things they told us to do, like control the sales cycle, control the conversation. We're selling. Um, I, the beautiful man I know, Barry sourwine he, he actually ran a a large sales organization at Tableau. And I remember when he brought me in to work with his his company for, I don't know, the better part of four or five years, he stood in front of his entire sales organization and said this, guys, I do not care if we're going, like when we go out there and we meet with people, I don't care if we're selling anything. It's not about that. What if all we did was went out there and just made connections with people? Like, think about that. Would that Would that change everything? would it changed, and it's such a frightening thing because we're so, we're so like addicted to this idea of like controlling and what kind of interactions work when we're trying to control things, right? Mm. And, and I could tell you like these things are scary, like to listen to you share what you shared with me within minutes when we were talking about our families and as you and I were getting to know each other, our kids, and uh, I'm sure people are scared to, to just be with you when you bring it up and, and am I wrong?
1: no uh people oftentimes don't know how to react and they get fidgety and they get sweaty and they they say things and they they can't stop talking and yeah so absolutely
0: yeah so what would it be like then to just be human Mm -hmm. i think it's misunderstood like in our in in the thing that we do the vocation that we chose to like focus on and try to understand we all have our different definition of what it means, but we all always fundamentally talked about this career of ours. Like, what could this career be? That's what I think about. Like, what could it what could it be if we just closed our eyes and made it anything we wanted? We were like, we had this blank canvas and we created this this thing we want, right? Well, it starts with this unique blend of art and science. We've always talked about it, right? Of art and science. The science, which which. I believe is wildly misunderstood is the process, you know, the product knowledge, the information, you know, the things we need to do, the transactions, how we get a deal from A to B to C, you know, the ones and zeros, it's the IQ. That's the, that's the science on this side. And we've always known that, right? Yeah. The art, what's the art? Well, the art is what drives us inside, our expression, who we are, our interpersonal relation relationships how you and i interact with one another are not our just our interpersonal relationships but the intrapersonal how i relate to myself what's my purpose what's my calling am i on a mission how do i relate to myself and it's not the iq it's maybe our eq and these are butchered overused almost hollowed words
1: oh yeah oh yeah
0: yeah it's like we talk about empathy and mindful all these fancy words i'm from la like so we talk a lot about this stuff over here
1: mindful breathing
0: yeah we, we mindful breathing yeah um we talk about this stuff but what do we what do we what do we pledge our allegiance to where's our mm-hmm. reverence so all this stuff it's this is stuff we've known forever we got really good at this and i'm just wondering and something you said before we got on with one another like are we really humanizing this experience because if we are then we got to understand what the human struggle is all about if we understand what the human struggle is all about, maybe we can relate to each other in a way that's different than we're relating to each other now. Whether it's this world of, um, I mean, because if it hasn't been automated, I mean, you know, if any of this stuff on the science side hasn't been automated yet, in the next five years it will be. It will. It's on its way. So then, what are we left to do? What are we left to do? And and how how are we doing over here? How are we doing with one another? How are we doing with our neighbors? How are we doing with strangers? How are we doing with people that we're calling on to sell to?
1: Mm.
0: Like, how are we doing?
1: So this question of how are we doing? I think, I think we're about to, to really get into the heart of the matter is why do people actually struggle? So why do they actually struggle to humanize? How, why do salespeople, and I I think part of it has to do with probably the categorization of things, labeling things, what they are, Mm -hmm. but why do salespeople struggle to humanize with their, with their prospects?
0: Yeah, I'll never forget this. About a dozen years ago, I'm at a sales enablement conference, and there's this guy, Greg Alexander, who is the founder, founder of a company called Sales Benchmark Index. Have you heard of them? No, I don't think to, I have. I think they set out to be like the Gartner of the sales industry. And he was a keynote speaker, and he, he stands up on stage, and behind him is a slide with two numbers on it, 87 and 13. So here he is standing in front of these two big numbers, 87 and 13. And he basically starts by saying, you guys know what that is? And he says, we've always talked about the 80-20 rule in our industry. You know, small percentage carry the load. The 80-20 rule is alive and well. Okay. Well, here's what he did. He indexed 1,100 companies, which I am not know, made up thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know, of salespeople. And when he indexed, all of these companies, now these are companies that are selling in some way, some sort of B2B. They're selling, as you would say, some wares, right? And he said, the 80-20 rule is no longer. It's now eighty seven thirteen. And I thought about that. I'm, and I actually, if I'm honest with myself, if I go back to the chair I was sitting in, in that moment, here's what I was thinking. And I'm pretty sure everybody else was too. That means I need to sell them a little bit more of my whatever. They need a little bit more of our training, a little bit more methodology, a little bit more you know, KPIs, a little bit more QBRs, right? We have to hit people over the head, you know, the 87% because they're, you know, and that there's, a, there's an arrogance with that with that response. I think all of us in the room, because we don't want to look in the mirror and actually say like, what is, what is, what's at play? So think about this, Ryan. We've been at this for years, if not decades, for the last 30 years that I've been doing this, I'm 51. For the last 30 years that I've been doing this, we have sales methodology, a variation of the theme, a process. We call it, we called it sales process. Now we call it customer buyer journey because like it's fancier. Yeah. Right. So it's it's, it of,
1: sounds, it sounds more, you know, reasonable to, to the ROI thing that in the pictures and the business cases. And the because yeah,
0: we fucked them up, let's just go sell them something new. It's like, I grew up in the software industry in the eighties. It used to be MRP and it went to MRP too. And then it went to ERP. It's, it's bonkers. But anyways, it's as if, what we did was double down on the only thing we knew, which was all the stuff on the science side, process, more process. Now there's process behind the process. Now sales calls have checklists of things we need to do with agendas and questions and solutions and ROIs and more product knowledge, right? In other words, we're loading up one side of our brains. We're becoming like half-sided, our left side of our brains. We've loaded up with the science. But if we really look at what it is. Why is it that 8020 became 8713? Well, maybe it's because the few, the, the rare people that were able to do something, they got better with the process because they were already doing something. They, you know, they, maybe they knew something. And here's the greatest irony my mentor was Mike Bosworth. In every way, he was a founder and father of solution selling. He wrote Solution Selling. That was like the father of all sales enablement that grew into everything we did since 19, whatever, 80, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Solution selling. And I remember reading in the book, I think it was on page four of solution selling Mike starts off and I love Mike starts off and he says this superior salespeople in parentheses, I call them Eagles have intuitive skills to do the following things, to connect, to empathize, and to develop superior relationships with buyers mm. they have intuitive skills eagles he called them to empathize to connect and to develop, to develop relationships in a, in a in a completely different way and yet ironically the book and the method goes on to talk about everything other than that because at the time we didn't know anything about this in other words this thing we call art we always said it's art and science right but we don't know anything over here. We don't know, like, how, how do people learn to empathize? Can't tell you how many executives, like, they chalk this up to soft skills. What's soft, what's soft about empathizing? How about this one? Because this, to me, I'm not here talking to you from Toronto where I'm at a client's office here in one of their soundproof booths, <laughs> like <laughs> one of those photo booths. Yeah. I'm not here breaking away to talk to you to help people make a little bit more dough sell a little bit more wares because I don't know how enriching that's going to help anybody because maybe we become so dominated in our career by doing that and that's why our career has a stench we're universally disliked Hmm. if nobody believes it all we have to do is look at all the Gallup, the all the research I read one recently check this out it had a list of the top by population 50 professions in the United States Okay. The most like esteem, the ones we trust the most and the ones we trust the least. It's not brain surgery. Guess who we trust the most at the top of this list.
1: I'm assuming it was medical professionals, uh, clergy, maybe something like that.
0: Okay. Interesting. It it was actually nurses. Yeah. It wasn't all medical it was nurses. So, and it actually wasn't doctors. Interestingly, it was nurses. So then you got to go, what is it about nurses? Okay. So it's nurses, it's firefighters, Mm. right? Guess who's at the bottom?
1: Uh, I'm going to say lawyers, politicians, and salespeople.
0: Ding, ding, ding. What are we doing? Why are we looking at this thing different? Maybe we're so loaded on this side that we became these logical, linear, KPI, how am I going to sell, agenda-based, outsmart you, I'm right, you're wrong. Profession, we're so universally disliked, people repel from us. And yet over here, why is this stuff like empathy, connection, listening, purpose meaning why isn't this stuff focused on like so it was for me after a career of I don't know about 20 years in this business really trying to understand it and I don't think for me Ryan, I was trying to understand it in this altruistic way I was trying to understand this career because it was the only craft I knew Mm. like I studied poli sci in college there was nothing waiting for me so I got into sales to make some dough started a family young wanted to live in it have my house drive a car Keep up with the Joneses, send my kids to private school, pay my bills, going, 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 getting by, going by, getting by, and getting to a point where like, what's what's this all about? Mm-hmm. Do I really have relationships? Do I really have community? Am I really fulfilled? And yet the one thing we know is that the thing that gives us meaning and purpose is community and connection. Mm-hmm. The one thing that this side, the art side, Fosters. This is a pathway for disconnection. Yeah, this is all we focused on. But what I realized is this is not the enemy. What we've done a poor job is we've we've shoved aside this stuff. All the stuff that makes us human, all the stuff, meaning, purpose, connection, empathy. And I was like about a dozen years ago, I want a dose of that. I saw people out there, Ryan, that were operating at a different level. They weren't using people like me, using you. As if you're a transaction or a means for me to get my quota so I can pay my $2 million mortgage or I could show up in my five series. But if we're honest, everybody could talk about I'm in sales because I love to problem solve and I love people. Bullshit. Call it what it is. Because if you believe that, it's money and it's quotas. And we're so focused on that that we're not elevating this thing to something bigger. And maybe we have it backwards, maybe for a second, we can redefine it and I'll I'll give you an example how. Instead of maybe you're a means to me making my my sale, maybe sales is the Trojan horse. Maybe this is the thing that'll help me connect with you and foster connection and community with you. And yet we're so enamored in the sales profession, like I'm gonna help you solve problems because we're problems We're a bunch of engineers. Really? Really? Because we're selling software, we're going to go, like, it's, it's, and, and I believe there's a way, um, not just because we talk about elevating our profession. Like, I don't know, man, I don't want to hide behind this. I just think that when I get on the phone with you and like, we can start to get to know each other and feel what it is that you feel.
1: So Ben, um, as you've been talking, I'm reminded of um, some research that we did for one of our customers and, um, in our research, you want to talk about data. I mean, we, we're a data collection company, right? We're a research company. That's what we do. And we go and measure how uh, our, our customers measure up against their competitors uh, in their buyer's eyes around four categories, how they stack up in sales motion, product or, or solution, company and pricing. And what we found with one of, this, one of our customers was that um, their pricing, their product and the company are all kind of sixes, right? They're, they're like same seas. The differentiator for the people that were making decisions had nothing to do with those things because they were all viewed as largely commoditized. The thing that differentiated was the ability of the salespeople to enter what we, we started calling the Goldilocks zone. It's like, look, every person is looking for a way to connect with another person. They're looking for a connection. And if I come at you in a way that's too strong or too weak, or if I come at you from an angle that only I'm listening for, and I'm not willing to listen, to learn, to understand. If I come at you from my product's perspective, and let me beat you over the head with all of the things, and all of the data and all the facts, the reasons why my product is superior to the other one, when they really don't give a crap, they're looking to just connect with somebody so that they can understand and help them make sense of the world with this one thing, whatever widget or where that you're trying to sell. It's that Goldilocks zone. It's the not too hot, not too cold. It's that space. It's that band of area that people look to and you're calling it connect. And we found that to be the major differentiator for them and their driver. It's the connection. It matters.
0: So the Goldilocks zone that you discovered is what?
1: It's a, it's a band of, of, of area in the way that people want to communicate, want to receive communication, want to, to be taught, want to be challenged. And it varies from person to person. So it's not one size fits all. It's kind of a, a nightmare for sales enablement, because it feels like I can't um, processize this thing, I can't make it standard for everybody, even though I think there's probably a way to standardize in a different way. It's that marriage of art and science. But um, that that's what it is. It's how people want to be communicated with how people want to be challenged, how people want to be, you know, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. That's what the Goldilocks zone is.
0: Well, I think that that can be this really elusive thing, um, especially just well, calling it a Goldilocks zone. Like we know what it is. We know when we feel it. It's kind of like when we do anything. We play music. We do art. We we uh, we play a sport. We're in that zone. What is that zone like? And in our zone, we're in a we're in a relational zone, and we talk about rapport. We've always talked about it. Like rapport is, I would look at your you know books behind you and say, Oh, you read that. Oh, you're a golfer, Ryan. Cool. Like. Yeah. What do you shoot? Or, oh, is that a fish behind you? Like rapport is a step in the process. Again, it's a transaction. Yeah. And it's so superficial and disingenuous. Like if we had real rapport, here's what real rapport is. Right. Cause I think that's what you're talking about. Yes. Where you and I are together. So let's talk about real rapport. And I want to get, I want to bring something to light, which gives me, I'm a little bit nervous, but I also like really care deeply as you shared with me, the, the loss of your son um may i
1: man it's just me and you yeah
0: um about about eight years ago my cousin at 42 was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor and she lost her battle and i got to know uh, this really beautiful woman um sung pabletti who's a ceo of stand up to cancer you know you stand up to cancer you know what they do for cancer research and, and raising awareness and money um to fight this this thing and um She's a scientist, she's a doctor. And her job is to go get people to part with all their money to be able to fund a lot of research, groundbreaking stuff. And as a scientist, she would go in there with her pitch deck and with her statistics and all her information. And, uh, and I remember she was showing me how she would go and, and, and talk about her, her, her mission. And it was so sciencey and numbers-based and statistics. And I got to know her because she was helping my family out and I wanted to help her in return. She was helping my, my cousin find the right clinical trials and, and you know, shepherd her through this, this her battle. And I wanted to help stand up. So I, I, I brought my work, my workshop to her. I was like, Sung, I want to help you guys really craft a way to get the world behind what you're doing. Like, how do you really tell this story? How do you tell your stories? And as I'm a helper, she was like, we don't do that. That's too personal. We have to stick to the science, the facts. This is how you communicate. You have to get people to know stuff because it's all about information. Like, and I don't know how to handle that. All I know is like, I know like helps us connect with people. And it's, it's most fundamentally through our experiences. That's all we got, man. Mm. And, she, and, and it requires vulnerability. No, we don't do vulnerability. And that's what she said to me. We don't do vulnerable, and I'm thinking, what's more vulnerable than
1: Cancer, death, yeah.
0: So I'll never forget, I was helping her craft her story, and she was telling me about her life. She has, you know, about her father and this, you know, Korean immigrant family, her mother, this really nurturing mother of hers. So she had these two forces in her life of her father, like just being really kind of regimented, and this is kind of what you do. You become a doctor or a lawyer, like this, you know. And her mother is this really nurturing you know, matriarch. So here's what Sung becomes. She becomes a nurse because she has that influence from her mom. She becomes a scientist, right? Gets a PhD because of the influence of her father. And now she has this career where she's, it's really beautiful that the clasping of hands between care and science and now mm-hmm. she's running this organization. And I'm like, and she gets really emotional when she, when she talks about her story and why she does what she does. I'm like, Sung, do you ever share that story with people? She'll meet with high net worth individuals and get them to part with, you know, tens of millions of dollars to fight this disease. I'm like, do you ever tell that story to, to the world? Guess what she said?
1: No, she does not
0: No way. Why too no, personal, too, too,
1: too. too much feels.
0: There you go, brother, right? I'm like, isn't that what makes you like go? isn't that your engine like this furnace she's like yeah then you're you're suppressing the very thing that fuels you now other people you're suppressing it for other people like guilted her into like okay this is what we're gonna do you're gonna go do this on your next donor meeting and you can tell me how it goes and she said she had a donor meeting in a few days and I was like let me know how it goes afterwards just don't bring your pitch deck don't bring your PowerPoint with all your bullet points and your statistics Friday rolls around. I'll never forget. It, it was the end of the day. And, and she calls me up. She goes, Ben, I had this donor meeting earlier in the day. It was a few hours ago and I wanted to call you, but I was trying to make sense of it. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, let me tell you what happened. I go on this, this donor meeting with three people who own the trust of, I forgot who it was, but they had millions of dollars sitting in this trust. And uh, there's three women and this one guy. And this one guy was like the, the, the controller, the finance guy. And he's just been a jerk. He's, he's looking for the ROI. And like, He's been holding on. He has to sign off and he's been, she basically called him a bulldog. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So she goes, I went in this meeting and I, I didn't bring my pitch deck. I'm like, yeah, great. I'm thinking to myself and she goes, so I opened up and I started to share my story. And she goes, it was a story I shared with you. She says, I was so clunky and so all over the place. It was the worst story I've ever told. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I got really emotional. I started to cry. And I was like all over the place. I'm telling her like why, I'm telling them, this is why I do this, this is where I come from. And I have this, and then I decided to do this. And then, you know, I, I lost my father and she gets really emotional. She goes, it was the worst thing I've ever, and, I, and I'm listening to this Ryan, as I'm hearing this, it's like stabbing me in the heart, like this is getting worse, right? And then she goes, I was done. I was all over the place, it was the worst story ever. And she goes, but then this woman sitting across from me looks at me and she starts to share with me why she cares so much and she starts to cry. And then she goes, the next woman sitting next to her started to open up and share what mattered to her. And she started to cry. And then the next woman opened up and shared and she started to get emotional. And then she goes, it was that that guy, the bulldog guy sitting over here in the corner. And then it was his turn to share. And he didn't cry, he didn't get emotional, but she said something interesting. She goes, it was almost like he was no longer blocking. He was no longer that hostile whatever guy. And she fast forwards and cut to a few minutes later, she goes, and we left there with, I think it was like a half a million dollar commitment on the spot with $250,000 a year in perpetuity or something, right? And she's telling me this, right? And then she kind of paused and she's she's like, it's like, Ben, you know what I learned from that experience? And I was like, what? That we're asking people to do stuff in the world. And before we ask people to do stuff, like they got to share with us, like what's going on in their lives. And we never give people that opportunity. And she goes, Ben, you asked me to share my story first. And she goes, all that did was give permission for the other people to let me into their lives. So here's what I think, what I've learned about this business. I don't care if it's selling, coaching, parenting our kids. Like for me, I always thought selling was, you know what my measurement of selling was? And sometimes I'm doing a shitty job, sometimes I'm doing okay. I have a 22 and a 20 year old now, right? I'm having a tougher time with my 20-year-old. Right now, my 22-year-old's more, like more rapport going on there. But my measurement was always like where their doors open to their bedrooms. Yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm operating. I'm not operating in a place where I'm hitting people with a hammer. Like I'm inviting people in. So what I think about all of that is to say what it taught me was this Goldilocks zone this report real rapport is when we synchronize with each other we synchronize and if we just share ourselves and i'm just going to put this out to the group to, to to your listeners this idea of if we go first if we're vulnerable let people into us and we feel our experiences and we share those with people right it's like we're opening ourselves up and letting people in imagine that by sharing our stories and then other people It just gives people other permission to be human in return and let them into us. And maybe this is what communities do. Communities are made up by the stories we share with one another. And that's the Goldilocks zone. That's real rapport. The definition of rapport is not, hey, how's golf? Hey, how's fishing? How's the weather or the ball game, right? Because I'm a cheesy salesperson. That circa 1984 taught me to scan the room and do that shit, right? Real reporters, when we go beneath the surface and we're real with each other and we synchronize our neuro processes, in other words, our feelings, mm. and it's not woo woo. So what I care about in the world is this is the price of admission. Let's be human. Let's know what we care about. Let's connect with it through our stories and create empathy with one another because that will that will be remembered long past a sale we ever make.
1: Yeah, but Ben, you're talking about stuff that's impossible for some people. They feel like it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's not. Uh, I, I've, I've been doing this my whole life. This is the family that I grew up in, you know, and, and I think that has a large influence on, on how you behave with your feelings as an adult, you know, whatever. But long and the short of the whole thing is for those people that this does not come natural to, because what you're talking about is so it's so hard. Yeah. It's scary. It's difficult. How do they do yeah. this? How do you do that?
0: Well, so I mean, my fantasy is to open up a taco truck. Anybody who knows me, that's my dream one day. I want to quit what I do. I do this not because I'm good at it. It's, it's an obligation. I'm not going to not do this. And the reason I, I share that with you in the, in, the, in the most real sense is nine out of 10 days I wake up and I'm like, I'm not that good at this. This is not my zone, Ryan. So I hope my mom's not listening, but I don't come from this. I come from that left brain process systems, agendas, questions, solutions, ROI, put the pains in a spreadsheet and have the solutions in the other, you know, cell, and you do the math and you have an ROI and you say, Ryan, you're an idiot if you don't buy from me. And here's a, you know, the sequence of events and we're going to project manage this. I don't come from vulnerability. I I don't come from taking off my mask, Ryan. Every single day, it's fucking scary. It's scary (laughs) to sit there with you. And, and listen to your human struggle because I have to feel what you feel. But what I, what I know and what I've learned is I, these things are learnable by extension. They're, they're teachable. And I feel what I've learned in this business is not as much that we have to learn this as we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn this bullshit.
1: Okay. D- d- okay. Go, go here. This is hot. I'm feeling the energy here. What do you mean we have to unlearn? What, what do you have to unlearn?
0: Okay, I'll give you a quick story. I'm doing my work at a company I mentioned earlier called Tableau. They help companies see and understand data by visualizing, you know, a bunch of spreadsheets. Pretty cool product, right? They're kind of like this golden child of the software industry. And I I rolled my workshops out and and into hundreds of people, if not thousands, just over the course of multiple years. Everybody and all their salespeople went through the workshop, and it was all about helping them tell their stories, right? And it wasn't just like, tell the company story, but tell your story when you meet somebody. And it required people to get vulnerable and dig deep why it really matters to them, what from their lives. And I'll never forget this. I had this guy, his name's Dana. He was a sales engineer about my age. He was in his forties, mid forties. And Dana pulls me aside in this workshop, Ryan. He goes, Ben, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He goes, I know why I do what I do, but I'm not going to share it. I'm like, okay, why do you do what you do? And he goes, he goes, I have a, uh, I have a 10-year-old son, and, and the minute he said that, his eyes welled up, and he goes, my son has a you know, pretty uh, big uh, learning disability. He learns differently. He has dyslexia, and, um, and it was really interesting when he said that, he started to get emotional, but then he, it was kind of this weird thing. He started to say that you know I'm this engineer and this math guy, and because my, my son's wired differently, he's so different as if he had this dissonance like relate to his son right and he said something interesting he goes i'm this math guy so i can't relate my son doesn't relate to me he goes um an interesting thing at tableau is on our final interviews to get our jobs here we have to demo the software back to like a panel of people to get the final job right so he goes the night before his final interview downloads the demo software and he takes just fortuitously takes his son's fourth grade math homework imports those math problems into the tableau software. The tableau software visualizes it into like colors and heat graphs and circles. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me, he goes, Ben, that night when I was preparing for my final interview, I was able to do my, my son was able to do his math homework with me. Mm-hmm. And he, now he has a tear coming down, just like a single tear. Right. And he literally says this, it wasn't as if it was about the math. It was as if like the software helped me connect with connect. And he goes like this. He goes, If the software can do that, every single person, like 330 million people in the United States, should all have Tableau on their desktop. I'm a believer. That's what he shares. I look at him, I'm like, Dana, kind of like Sung, right? From Stand Up to Cancer. Have you ever told that story to anybody? Guess what he says? No. No, I would never. I don't, you know? So we explored it together. I just want you to cut to. Three months later he's in front of the tableau thousands of sales like a couple thousand pe- people at their national sales kickoff he's up there telling his story in tears why he cares so much and then everybody starts to share their their whys They're, we all talk about the why the why we get our whys from our stories now you ask the question like is this learnable is it teachable and i said maybe we have to unlearn and here's what i mean what that was about the reason i share that story about dana that was about him learning how to take off his mask and unlearn the bullshit that says he cannot be who he is and be vulnerable. Mm. He could be all in, not all in with Tableau. He was all in with himself. And I think one of the things we have to unlearn is that vulnerability is a weakness. We have to unlearn this idea of shame, that we don't let people into our lives. We have to unlearn this division between personal and professional. Like who came up with that model? Okay. So Ryan, let's just break this thing down. Let's talk about the Goldilocks zone here. Okay. So what if we unlearn this? Vulnerability is a weakness. Unlearn that. Let's unlearn this division between personal and professional. Unlearn that. Let's let's unlearn that we live with shame. Because here's the thing, if we really go back to the beginning, that what we do is a blend of art and science, and we really look at art, art is the expression of who we are. Art is the expression of our emotions and our inner worlds. And maybe to operate as artists, right? the world has shoved All this other stuff down our throats that we they knock the artists out of us i believe we become more creative i become i believe we become more all in with one another when we learn the expression of our own stories i do not care if we learn how to tell stories because it's a better way to pitch a product that misses a point we tell stories because that's what people do we've been doing it for thousands of years it's hardwired into our dna we're all artists even our engineers and us, we're all artists. It's the expression of our inner worlds. Let's stop operating in our outer worlds. And when we do that, we're in community with one another. And I can't think of a better antidote to the division, the isolationism, the depression, right? And let me ask you this, can I ask you this? Please. You going through, and I said something that I'd like to retract when you talked about your son, I said, that must, that must have been what you you've gone through and you correct. You said, we're going through. Yeah. How do you go through experiences? Like you said, you're, can I, you said you're part of a, a club you never wanted to sign up for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you what you meant?
1: Yeah. So, um, going through, um, dealing with, uh, grief specifically, right. There's a name to this thing. It's called grief. It's this, um, I would put that on the list of uh, the things that you just listed out. Shame, uh, those types of things, right? Grief is, is part of that list. It's uh, one of those things that nobody wants to deal with. And it, it's seen as a weakness and, uh, y- you know, all of these things, not true. Um, <laughs> dealing with confronting and really it all ties together exactly with what you're talking about, really, it's about dealing with the confronting yourself. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Um, I also mentioned that uh, when we were talking that I would never give up. I would never trade the experiences that that my wife and I, that my children, that myself, that we have gained together um, confronting the realities of our life. I would never trade that. I would never ask for it. <laughs> I would never go seek that. Hey, yeah, I want to go through that pain. No but I would never trade what it's given us, okay? So how do we go through that? Um, I think we go through it via experience. And uh, you know, it's so, it's so fascinating. One of the reasons why I was so excited about this conversation was the idea of coming to story. Our family mythos, our family story has changed and has become something new. And uh, the mantra that we employ is called embracing the cactus it's like the cactus is coming man it's like if you if you've ever been mountain biking in the desert and you crash and you're flying towards a cactus there's no point in saying I don't want to hit the cactus you're gonna hit the cactus just embrace it and so that's that's where our family goes as we go we, we call it embracing the cactus and pain to power and so um, how we get through it is how we get through this how we deal with this how we confront grief is by by um, constantly sharing our narrative, mm-hmm. experiencing, experiencing the waves of grief as they come in that are overwhelming, that are too much. And we become so attuned together where does, you don't even have to say a word anymore. You, I can just look and know when one of my children or my wife, or even myself, when we're dealing with a, a wave, I can look and say, there's a wave happening we don't have to say anything anymore. We can just be, we call it jumping in the, in the deep end, right? We can just, we'll be together. So that's how we deal with, with these things. It's through narrative. It's through story. It's through sharing. It's through experience. That's how we, we become, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just seems weird. Like I think about the, um, I think about all the years I spent not being in the, what did you call it? The like in the deep end, and
1: yeah, the deep end.
0: Everything's okay. How you doing? Everything's fine. How's the flight in? Good. How you doing? Right. And yet, it's like, it's like we just miss each other. Yeah. It's just like plastic. My friend Tammy, she calls it like we we this veneer of plastic. It slides off, right? But the Teflon. Velcro, yeah, but the Velcro happens like in that in that human struggle. Like, and if I think what I'm hearing from you is like you guys embrace, and Are really authentic you get to the core of what it means to be real whatever that is and we as a society suck at that
1: Mm. so how do we yeah yeah, so so you know we we do suck at that and i and i think i think that's a universal i think i don't think there's anybody listening to this podcast that's going to say you know what ben i disagree with you i think society's awesome nobody nobody's good at this we stink at this Man. How do we start to make the difference? And you're talking about being vulnerable. Where do you find that vulnerability? If 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 you're giving advice to somebody who's like, look, I've never been vulnerable for a minute yeah. in my life. How do how do you do that?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, the most popular person in the world these days is Dr. Brene Brown. Whether Love her, her. she's amazing. Amazing. Yes. Whether it's her TED Talk, her books, her Netflix special, like. Like it's, you know, she's she's the shame and vulnerability expert. But there's a, there's an element of her work that she talks about in one of her early books that helped me really understand vulnerability in a different way. It's not just crying or, or unloading on people or, you know, or gushing. I, you know, it's, it's, un, it's misunderstood. Hmm. She conceives the spectrum. And on the spectrum, on one side, if there's a spectrum here, on one side of the spectrum, she writes the word fear. And guess what's on the other side of the spectrum? Um, maybe love. okay. I, I'm with you, but the word she uses is courage. So courage. Fear and courage. yeah. And she talks about what is it that underpins and gives fuel to 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 fear. What is it? and and, and it's shame. She mm-hmm. calls herself a shame researcher. It's shame. And shame is this feeling of I'm not handsome enough, rich enough, smart enough. I mean, look at me right now, like the angles are their circles here. I have this. You know, like there's grays now. Do I look like I did 10 years ago? I put on, you know, are you gonna judge me? What are you gonna think of me? Shame, well, shame is what gives fuel to fear. So then we live in this, we live in fear and we lock ourselves up. And what she talks about is what it is that gives fuel to courage and it's vulnerability. It's this, it's the ability to take a risk this expose ourselves. It's to do something with no guarantees, right? And I, and I thought about this because I, you know, part of my engineering brain years ago as I'm trying to understand this and understand storytelling and what it really means to live the kind of life that I want to live, right? Is what would it mean to live vulnerab- vulnerably if it's about taking risks and exposing ourselves? And I thought, what in the world has ever happened that's been great, that hasn't been vulnerable? Uh, starting a company, you know, going first, sending a person to the moon thing, uh, making cold calls because we all get locked up. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Right. Living vulnerably. And she recites Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not about the critic. It's not the critic who counts, Ryan. It's about the man in the arena. It's about the, the, the person who's in the arena getting his, his and her face marred with blood, sweat and dust, who's airing over and over again, who's getting knocked down over again. It's about that person. It's about the the man in the arena. It's not about the the critic. The critic doesn't count. That's the peanut gallery. And that was Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech from 100 years ago or more than 100 years ago. And, And she culminates as she recites his speech with, it's about being all in, living all in. What does it mean to be all in? Well, to be all in is living vulnerably. Okay. No guarantees.
1: Yeah. So I'm starting to pick up what you're laying down here. Part of it has to do with a reframing, uh, refocusing and reframing from fear to courage, mm-hmm. um, understanding what fuels each, right? Uh, fear is fueled by that shame, uh, doubt, guilt, those types of things. Where courage, what I'm hearing you say is vulnerability is the fuel for courage. And um, I think maybe part of that reframing, as I'm thinking through with as you're talking, I'm starting to think about the times when I had, you know, even moments of courage in my life. Moments, just moments of courage, and often, by the way, I think it's fleeting moments. I don't think you have to be courageous 24 seven. I think it's moments of courage, and I'm thinking about what that looked like, and it all had to do with uh, the courage had to had to do with me. Uh, believing in myself more than I believed in the, in the doubters and the shame and those other things that, that were out there that might be trying to pull me down. When I asked my wife to marry me, uh, when I, uh, did my first consulting gig, I mean, anybody that's ever, ever done consulting before, that's like as scary as you can be, because you have to be naked. You have to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about those things, um, it's a lie, I think, we tell ourselves that we can't be vulnerable or that we can't be courageous because we have. You can't be a human. What I'm, I think I'm hearing you say is we cannot be a human and not have vulnerability and not have courage. I, I, I don't think it exists.
0: Amen, brother. We cannot be human if we don't have that. And oh, by the way, fear exists. And if we don't talk about it, we don't name it. It just gives fuel to itself. It's so interesting. I mean, the real truth behind the work that I do. Why I feel like for me, I describe the work that I do as like I stumbled on this journey, on this pot of gold. This pot of gold was I learned how to tell my story, and once I did, everything in my life felt different. It was almost like BC to AD. I mean, there was like a demarcation point in my life when I was able to tell my story. Like, you know, I come from a family with really young parents; they were teenagers. Right? I grew up in this family where. I don't think anybody culturally in my family had the tools to learn how to open up and share like so nobody really talked about stuff Mm. so if anything bad happens and there's trauma in a family like that it's a double crime because nobody talks about stuff right and then shame and fear there's you get locked up and for me there was abuse in my family growing up okay from a really young age we didn't talk about it Mm. and i'll never forget it It is about 12 years ago and i'm actually it's serendipitously at the time I'm researching storytelling I still hadn't like I was researching storytelling but but I hadn't told my own story yet to the world and I always looked at people who could tell their stories of trauma and pain and like I was always like people who could tell their stories man that must feel great because I always felt locked up I never talked about the things that happened to me growing up with my abuse right it was always this weight like dude this like heavy weight that was like a thousand pounds on my shoulders every single day and if someone found out about me i would be found out i was not living all in but i admired people that were and uh i had this friend her name's karen scott i never forget it this you know she's a neighborhood friend she she's a mom in our neighborhood our kids grew up together in elementary school she saw us struggling she took me on a walk one day in our neighborhood i thought it was weird she's like ben i gotta talk to you and she's like ben let me tell you about my life And she had shared with me her story about growing up in a family, this counterculture family, hippie, dippy parents that lived up in Laurel Canyon in the Hollywood Hills and and that there's abuse in her family. And she shared this with me. And I looked at her and I was like, for the first time in my life, Ryan, I was one on one with somebody who was not telling me her story. She was telling me my story. Mm. And I said, Karen, like, I got to share mine. And I shared with her. I shared with her and it was like, and I started to cry and I let it all out. And when people say, you tell your story, it's cathartic. That's an understatement. Mm -hmm. I was able for the first time in my life as this middle-aged dude, able to share my story. And from that day on, like I was able to walk like and live a life where I could be all in and I could be vulnerable. It was the first whiff I got of being vulnerable. And And it's exactly the experience that Dana from Tableau had when he was able to tell part of his story that was vulnerable. He learned what it was like on the other end of that. And it's hard to explain that, to squeeze the enormity of that into words for people who haven't experienced it. And, and right, so for me, I learned what it was like to go from non-storytelling to being in a mode where I could, I could operate from my own stories and not be locked up with fear. And, I, and actually, when I told stories, it would give other people permission to tell their stories. It's the same thing that happened with some. So if we synthesize this, what it means to be human, to tell our stories, I think about some. Her ability to go first and share. I think about Dana, not wanting, carrying so much shame around that, learning how to tell the story. He went from this. I want for, if anybody's in, you know, for the salespeople out there, here's the, the pre and then the after Dana. Hi, I'm Dana from Tableau. We help people see and understand data. We help people um, increase productivity by X and decrease cost by Y. Now tell me all your pain points. Right? Now this is Dana going out to the world. Hey, my name's Dana. I'm with Tableau. I, if you give me a few minutes, I'll let you know why I care so deeply about this and why I'm here today. Okay. I have a 10 year old son, boom, which, which, who do you want to be? Hmm.
1: So Ben, uh, you've just inspired me, uh, what you were just describing about Dana's, you know, pre-Dana, uh, or Dana before, uh, that you just described, uh, kind of my whole LinkedIn persona and profile and uh, now I'm feeling some motivation. <laughs> I, I gotta go make some changes to me. Um, so uh, wrapping up our conversation here, what advice would you give, like, in, in, to our listeners, right? These salespeople out here, what advice would you give to them, to to start being vulnerable, to start their journey of becoming excellent storytellers, story leaders?
0: No, no, it's a cool little one. Let's all go to, just this piggyback off of your little exercise, let's all go to our LinkedIn profiles instead of it being like, I'm a world-class communicator, top president's club, award-winning, customer-centric, blah, 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 nonsense, right? Why don't we actually all go to our summaries, delete that, and do a makeover on your LinkedIn profile and say, this is where I come from, here's what I struggle with, here's how I came out the other end, because that's what a story is, okay? Let's all go there and put it out there, because that's vulnerability, because you post that, you have now just literally like showing something to the world. That's exercise number one. Exercise number two. Why doesn't everybody who's listening to this go to somebody you love and share with them a story about your life that they don't know about because that mm. will feel vulnerable. And what it will feel like is you're at the top of the high dive and you're going to want to jump or you're going to get scared because all those molecules are going to come up, right? Um, and then sharing a story from your life that you don't typically share with somebody, some something like I had this, I'm doing a workshop at Salesforce, I had worked with Salesforce for a number of years. And in the workshops, we're sharing all these stories about ourselves. And i am never forget, it. I'm in the middle of Manhattan, right? Right. And the center of the world, I'm with these guys, we're sharing stories, and I'm sharing stories about my life, like in my abuse and all this stuff and with these people. And after in one of our exercises, we're sharing stories about our lives, nothing to do with work, because we're learning the exercise, the exercise of that muscle, right? Mm. This one guy in this little breakout group goes, Hey, Ben, there's things that we've shared with each other in the last hour that I haven't shared with the closest people in my life, people I call best friends back at home. And we're all like, and then I as a facilitator, like I wrote a book about this dude, right? And I'm like, gosh, there's people in my life who don't know this about me. And we all made a pact with one another to go to people that like we call best friends and share something about our lives. I remember being scared to go to my buddies that I grew up with, my best friends from high school and being like, yo, Steve, there's some things you don't know about my life. I want to share them with you. And what I found fascinating, Brian, was this: I would open up and share, and I'd get scared, and I would share. And you know what I'd get in return? Man, let me share with you some things you don't know about me. And it was as if, like, I'm going to open up, and another person would open up. Goldilocks zone. It's kind of a cheesy thing, but I get what you're saying. There were real rapport zone. But that's what we do in sales. Why don't we go out and be real and share our struggles with people? Who I am, like, what, where I come, what, like, open up and go first. We're just giving people the permission to be human in return. And you'll see a report, you'll feel the report like, zzz, like that. Mm. Does that, does that help?
1: I, I think that those are things that not only can we do, I think we should do. And I'm actually going to go do, and I will ping you later and let you know the result of, uh you know, whatever vulnerability story and journey I go on. I'm going to let you know about that. So, so Ben, I think that's phenomenal. Great advice. Thank you, Um, man. This has been one of the most enlightening conversations enlightening shows I've had. Ben, thank you for the time. My friend, I know you're, you're at a, at a client's uh, at a customer sound booth right now. I'll cut you loose. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate it.
0: And I meant what I said. I want to give you a big hug. All right. I'll talk to you. Bye.
1: For more on story leaders and primary intelligence, check out the show notes at, www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and share. It's you, our listeners that make all this possible. We'll see you next time.